Hi, this is Emily White, host and author of How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. I just wanted to give a brief intro to today's episode with the truly iconic Imogen Heap. I had the absolute honor of tour managing Imogen a long time ago, back in 2006. I think I talk about that in this book. I can't remember if it's this book or the previous book, to be honest. But yeah, unfortunately, it was uh, kind of, it was, you know, under sad circumstances. Uh, Imogen's tour manager had a death in the family and had to leave the tour um, unexpectedly. And uh, the travel agency who had booked the travel for the tour um, was the same company as the management company I worked at. And the travel agency came up to my desk one day and, and explained what happened and recommended me. And I had an awesome boss named Mike Luba, who was like, I think that would be an amazing experience for you. You should you should do it. So um, I just had such a phenomenal time on that tour. Um, Zoe Keating was opening. It was uh, Imogen, Zoe and I, and a sound person uh, named James, so just four people on a massive tour bus. I know she did Sundance. She did Carson Daly. Um, in fact, the tour was going well enough that Kumar, her regular tour manager, was able to stay with his family longer. Um, so I was out with them for a while. And um, yeah, I've, I've just had the privilege of, of knowing Imogen ever since and, and watching her career blossom. So um, I initially was going to interview someone for each chapter that I thought was the right fit. Um, I thought it would be really cool to interview Imogen for Chapter four, how to record with or without a budget. Um, she's the first woman to ever win uh, the best engineered album at the Grammys. Um, she engineered her own album. Um, but then I'm like, that's ridiculous. Why am I limiting it, you know, to one chapter with Imogen? So kind of similar to the Zoe forward conversation. Um, I went through each chapter with Imogen and caught up. Um, so we hope you enjoy it. Uh, yeah, so... I just said this, but enjoy Imogen Heap uh, on how to build a sustainable music career and collect all revenue streams and definitely check out her amazing creative passport, which is taking artist sustainability uh, to the next level and beyond. So once again, enjoy. Thank you. Hello. Hello. How are you? Hello. Good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for doing this. Welcome to How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. I'm your host, author Emily White, and I'm so thrilled and excited um, to introduce today's guest, Imogen Heap. Welcome, Imogen. Hello. Lovely to speak to you, Emily. Yes. Um, so as, as the listeners know, I've, I've had a guest on for each chapter, and initially I was thinking it would be great to have you on for the recording chapter, but then I was like why wouldn't I just talk to you about the entire book <laughs> through the lens of, of your career? So um, that's what we're going to do today. Very cool. Uh, yeah. So first up, how has 2020 been for you in, in any way? You know, professionally, oh pandemic, all that. I don't even know how to answer that. Um, it's been intense, um, amazing, eye-opening, terrifying, tiring, relaxing. It's just been so up and down. Um, and but loads of loads of new projects have been started through it out of desperation really but also just out of having the space I suppose sometimes in the beginning of the lockdown where things just literally stopped 
to be able to imagine what might come out of that. So yeah, started a few projects. One is an AI project called Augmented Imaging, where I sit in a chair and I answer a bag of questions from my fans, and that feeds into an AI self. Another one is a content site that we're about to launch um, at, the be- at the end of this year called Hab Lab TV, um, which is kind of inviting artists and services to share what's good and bad about the industry through interviews and performances. Um, and I, I also got involved in an app, uh, my app, imagenheap.app. So I've started to talk much, much more frequently with my fans. And as a result of that, ended up finishing a song, an actual piece of music, which might be like, but that's what you do, but it's not really what I do anymore. Um, so I'm very happy. And it's called, um, the last night of an empire. Um, and I love it and it's going to come out very soon. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Well, um, I'm not surprised by everything that you're doing. Um, And I can't wait to hear that new song, which is a perfect segue into um, chapter one, as I mentioned, uh, when we were speaking earlier, is called Get Your Art Together. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is I I do feel that anyone can have a a sustainable music career in in the modern era, but the art has to be amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I hear from artists all the time. I'm sure you do too, sending me their music saying, um, I want to get your feedback or, you know, at conferences or via email to, you know, people say, oh, you know, check this out, but I need to work on my vocals or I I need a new drummer. And I just feel like sometimes people like are skipping steps to kind of promotion and release. So my question is, um, which it sounds like you're very mindful of. Uh, how do you know when you're ripe and ready record versus like, has it ever felt forced? And, and what do you do in that scenario? How do you know when you're ready to, to start creating music? Oh dear. I mean, I don't really know. I, when I'm ready, I don't really have a choice these days, you know, have a child, she's six, she's great, but there's limited time there, you know, in between school hours and the occasional night where, you know, Mike takes her, um, it's really about the fact that I have this window of time and therefore I have to create the work. Whereas before I had a very different state of affairs. I had like eons of time to do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted it, you know, money, as long as you had money to live, then you could choose how you wanted to do your projects and when you wanted to do stuff. Um, but with this little person in my life, uh, everything is, everything is very different, but actually what it's done is it's, it's kind of really, really focused me um, to the point where I have a, I have bits of ideas I sing into my phone or I, I use this, this app called Endless to like throw down ideas. It's a really cool app. You should, you should uh, talk about that maybe later. Um, and within that, I have these little nuggets of ideas. I also did about three months of every week. I did a live improvisation to raise money for the Creative Passport, this identity solution that we're creating for music makers that's launching on my birthday on the 9th of December. Anyway, in that time, I, this was, okay, this is the, this is the thing. Okay. So basically it comes down to a little nugget, doesn't it? It comes down to whether it's a little, a lyric or a little melody or some kind of cool beat that you've made or something somebody said, and it's like, oh, that's, that's caught my imagination. So because I couldn't sit down and finish a record, like that was beyond my wildest dreams at the time, especially in lockdown with Scout 24-7, um, I sat at the piano where I'm actually at now. So here I am playing the piano. Um, I had a computer on, on the side here and I, any fans could just tune in every Tuesday and hear me improvise. 
And the point was for me to just get back in touch, kind of like how meditation can be, um, but just to kind of get into that flow and be present and just be in the moment and do what I love. And I just stopped doing that since I was a child. So I've rekindled that relationship with improvisation and I did it through the eyes of the fans. So they were there watching sometimes six hour long improvisations and sometimes I'd take requests for extra money. <laughs> um, and then I would come up with these, uh, these ideas and then fans would be like chatting on YouTube going, oh my God, I love this bit. This is amazing. Please turn this into a song. So I started to say, okay, you keep a track of the bits that you like and I will make songs out of them, you know, the ones that I like. So we witnessed a lot of moments um, that are going to one day turn into songs. Um, and one of them I started and ended up being called The Last Night of an Empire. Uh, yeah, so it kind of, it can come from the tiniest thing. And I suppose what helps you finish that is to do with circumstance, is to do with what's going on in the world, what's going on with you at home, and the combination of that and having time to finish it. So it, it seems to be that for me. It's not like um, I don't really have a formula. I don't really have a set time that I do things. Actually, I do every Tuesday and Thursday. <laughs> um, but other than that, it's just kind of desperately whenever I can, really. Um, but as, as a result of having no time, I found my, my production in this recent song, which wasn't connected to a brand, which often my songs are because they pay money up front, so I go in and make a record. Um, and I love those limitations that I get from, you know, commercial relationships whether it's IBM or Sennheiser or Dolby or some other tech company that I seem to attract. Um, so, but this was the first song in maybe six years that I didn't write for a, a, a kind of commercial relationship. I did it just for my fans. I just did it and I put it on my app and they absolutely love it. And that's as far as, you know, I, I mean, I've had it up there for about a month and I'm probably, I mean, I am going to release it, but I'm not really that fussed about it because I'm getting what I, I need right now from my fans. Um, so, I mean, I will put it out there, but I'm not, I'm probably not going to fuss about it, you know, I'll just get it out there. Brilliant. I, I absolutely love that. Um, because chapter two mm-hmm. is basically, basically about like, maybe this is kind of a dirty word, but kind of um, setting your pre-recording uh, marketing foundation. So what I'm talking about is, very basic (laughs) based on, or like, as opposed to what you just said, but, you know, before you hit the studio, make sure you have an email list. Um, Zoe and I talked quite a bit about, you know, text message clubs and communicating with fans that way. Obviously Mm -hmm. social media is there. You don't want to like finish your recording and then be like, oh my gosh, I have to like join Instagram or something. I mean, Mm -hmm. most people aren't in, in that case, in that scenario, but, um, yeah, I mean, how how brilliant to you know be live streaming you know regularly and um and and collaborate with your fans that way. So yeah, I, I guess I don't even really have a question because you kind of answered it and enhanced what I could even ask. But um yeah, I mean, what are you know what are some of the best ways? How about this? Why is connecting with your fans important to you? Um. Well, for me, it's. It's the relationship. It's the journey. I love sharing what I get up to in the studio. I just, you know, I'm on my own 24, you know, most of the time in the studio. And, and I just love having people to bounce off. I don't have an A&R or a manager or anything like that. I, I often like just bring in whoever might be in the house working. I'll just be like, can you come and have a listen? And I just love that experience of being with someone listening to 
an early demo. And so I do that often now with my fans. I post demos and ideas and this one particular one has finally been finished. And it's, I've never shared it to this degree where I'd literally be posting first demo and there's like, there's about nine different versions. And I even posted the pre-master and the, and the post-master version so they could hear the absolute difference that my mastering engineer did. And then they even went so far as to say, I noticed that one of the lyrics is really loud in this bit. Have you accidentally, you know, and I looked on the mix and I was like, oh yeah, it's really loud. That. <laughs> so they've actually contributed to, you know, making it a, a good, good, really good final master by going in again after the final, final master and tweaking that last bit because one of them mentioned this thing. Um, so yeah, that relationship is just, I mean, it's, it's just so much. It's everything. It's, it's it's actually emotional support. You know, there I am sitting in my listening chair um, chatting to them. In fact, I'm going to be doing that at four o'clock today. I'm going to be chatting to whoever wants to chat to me and we talk about all kinds of things. Talk about death, talk about love, talk about sex, talk about lack of sex, talk about um, the flow, talk about all kinds of things, everything and anything, the, the election, whatever it is, we just talk. And it's so great. I love it. And what what I get from it more than anything is this just, feeling of complete acceptance and in that I have this you know newfound freedom to just you know let let myself go and and just explore what I could be what I can do rather than try and do what I've done in the past you know they're with me they're with me on the journey egging me on so it takes the it takes the edge off any release actually that's what it does and I've I've always found that with connecting with my fans ever you know from speak for yourself which was I don't know was it like 15 years ago yes that was when I was tour managing you I can't believe it that's right yeah when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So even from then, that's what, that's what I found so precious was being able to share in the process and not have, not be like nail biting my, you know, biting my nails off um, after I've released it into the world, just terrified of what anyone might think of it or just hoping that people will like it. Cause I already knew the fans liked it because they were there with me. Yeah, that's such a good point. And um, you know, everything you said is, is so beautiful. Cause I think that sometimes and I get it, you know, but like, I think sometimes we can get caught up on like, you know, this piece of press or this radio play or whatever. And it's the whole point of that stuff is to connect with your audience, which is what you are doing so well from day one. Yeah. Yeah. We, we really do. It's a lovely relationship and you know, there, there is money involved, but it's not awkward. It's just not awkward. It's, right. it's really, it's really great. And yeah, I mean, I could talk for days about the relationship, so maybe we should move on. <laughs> I could yeah. But it is a direct relationship, which is which is key for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so on to kind of a less sexy topic. Um, <laughs> chapter three, I think we're on. Um, get your business affairs together. How do you handle songwriting splits in co-writing situations? Um, I, I advise people talk about it in the moment or immediately after the the session. 
Um, I've just seen, unfortunately, too many scenarios of six months later, a producer is like, oh, I, I wrote on this. So, so how do you mm. handle songwriting splits with co-writers? Yeah, I definitely would do it as close to the bone as possible. It's close to the moment in the studio, even before, just like if I'm getting in the studio with someone and we're writing from scratch, you know, I don't do that many co-writes, but every now and then I write, I write something with someone else. And we just agree flat out, it's just 50-50. That's just it. You know, there's no point faffing around and nitpicking and it just, it's just always, it's just 50, 50. Um, that's, but uh, yeah, that's just it. <laughs> um, having said that, you know, with Fru Fru, Guy did write more than I, because he had a lot more songs in advance and he was going to be working with other artists. And then we ended up being a band. Um, so the splits are different on every song on, on the Fru Fru album. But, um, you know, if I've got into a studio, like I said, which is very rarely, but I am starting to do it at the moment. Um, and I, I don't think he would mind if I shared this. Um, there's a, an artist called Richard Devine and he's this um, like sonic wizard. I love his sound. He's just, I mean, he's been in so many creating sounds within VSTs, like plugins. So I've recognised his name for years. Um, but he releases his own music and he just released this album called Sort, S-O-R-T, and then Backspace Love, L-A-V-E, I think that's what it is. Nice. Anyway, it's just brilliant. It's so brilliant. It's like noise art. I love it. Um, so I was listening to that walking down the canal in London one day and I was like, this music is awesome. I can't finish music on my own. I mean, I have just done it, but it literally took every single second and many, many at least six days, not in a row, where I would do all the night through and all the next day. So I'd be like, get in the studio at 10 o'clock, work all through the night and then finish at two o'clock in the afternoon so I can make it for pickup for Scalp in the afternoon. Um, and I've done so many of those, but I can't continue to do that. It's ridiculous. So I, I do need help now. You know, life is different. So with Richard, um, yeah, I've just sent him an email saying, look, I love your music. I've written some ideas in these improvisation sessions and we, we've chosen a few, me and the fans chose a few and here's some stuff. And I've sent it to him and I said, look, if you want to work on anything, can we just agree it's 50, 50? Cause then it just gives us the freedom to do whatever. And then he sent me back after quite a long time, he sent me back this detailed thing. I was terrified. He just didn't like anything. <laughs> and he said, Oh my goodness, it's all brilliant. And I love this because of this. And I love this because of this. And I was like, yay. Um, so I'm still waiting <laughs> to see what he's done. Um, I am excited. But when he does, then I just know. It's like this musical musical um, postcards. That's kind of what we're doing, nice. just kind of sending back and forth. And I've never done that before with anyone, like at this stage. So that's what the whole of the next load of stuff is going to be, basically, just tons of collaborations. I've just I've never really opened those gates before, Um I mean, I've done it with Guy and Taylor and a few people, but never really uh, on such a high degree as much as I want to do now because I just want to put music out again. Amazing. And and really, like, the point is, like, you talk about that. You communicate about it. You don't just, like, create with someone and then later, you know, bring it up. So I, I think that's really important for people to understand. Yeah, yeah. In fact, the only time that I've ever, I've ever done, and it wasn't really actually music, it was to do with the shares of Mimu, the gloves company that we developed, that was so painful. And I think it's the same thing because, because actually what ends up happening is everybody who's involved, me included, thinks that we are the most important piece of the puzzle. We, we, we kind of 
balloon out of proportion what we bring to the table, not understanding everybody else's full contributions. So that becomes the problem because you're like, yes, but I did the melody and I did the music and da, da, da. and the other person's like, but yeah, but I also did some of the melody. Don't you remember? You know, um, so it's and, and we get memories wrong, don't we? We yes, we, we change them over time. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what are your thoughts on master recording ownership in the modern era? Why wouldn't you own your master? <laughs> That's my question. I mean, I when I first started in the music industry, my manager at the time got me this deal and it was pretty bad. Um, but I believe actually that it was basically the standard deal that people were getting. They were all pretty bad. And they're much, much better than they were now and they're a million times better than they were 50 years ago. In fact, an old friend of mine, um, Rupert Hine, who recently died, he was the first person in the world, I think, to own, to receive 1% of his uh, of his royalties. Wow. <laughs> 1% of his album. It's crazy. Before that, it was point, point percent. Isn't that insane? Uh, oh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so I don't own my masters of my first album, and it's really, it's quite annoying. But I do own the masters of everything after that. So, um, but I have, it, I did license, so I licensed Sony, Speak for Yourself, but in, I think it's two years, I get them back. I am old enough. It's been 15 years or whatever it is. Um, or 10 years after release or something like that. I can't remember what the terms are now. But anyway, I get them back and I'm super happy about that. <laughs> Brilliant. That's not uh, easy to do. So no. congratulations. Thank you. Yes. Very, very cool. Um, so speaking of recording, um, so chapter four or so is how to record uh, with or without a budget. Um, I usually kind of skip over this chapter at speaking engagements because, you know, most people kind of have this figured out, but do you have any advice, you know, for an 11 year old starting out recording or a 75 year old, you know, starting out digital recording, like what's one tool or piece of gear that they definitely need? And then what's like a bell and whistle that they might not know about. That's very cool. Um, well, one thing that I've been pointing people to is this app endless with three s's it's developed by my friend tim exile which you may have met on a tour one day maybe oh no that, he was later um anyway this genius man and he's developed this app over well kind of in a way it's the culmination of like 15 years of development in hardware and software that he's had for his live shows so he improvises electronic music like no one else and i took him on tour because i was like i need to learn the tricks of this man um and literally took him on tour just so I could be like how does he do that (laughs) um and now he's created this this amazing app and it's so much fun it's like um you know how you chat on twitter and you're like chatting back chatting back copying chatting um highlighting tweets whatever it's like that but for music and so you can create really, really easily. Like if I literally, I'm just literally now, I'm just going to, I'm going to show you. Well, I can't show you because you're not, you're not, can't see me, but I'm going to open endless right now. Um, oh, I've got to try and remember my password. Then we have to <laughs> I'm, I'm logging in and then I'm just going to do something on the fly. So if you're 11 or you're 75, but you don't have any recording kit, this is what you need to do. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a new loop. And I'm going to do it on the fly. So create new riff, um, and I'm going to play. Oh, wait a minute. I'm just going to get rid of all that. Right. Get, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it. Right. Okay, new thing. I'm creating a new riff. Now I'm going to go in and just play some drums. 
Okay, so I've just done that. That's now looping. And now I'm going to, like, um, do some, like, well, you won't be able to hear a bass line over here, so I'll tell you what, I'll do some, like, notes. Okay, so here we go. It's all in a grid form. Okay, that's really probably not the best example of what you could do on this. Okay, so now I'm going to add some effects to that. Um, so I'm going to take that and I'm going to add some reverb on it. Okay. And then I'm going to do this thing called smudge. Okay, and now I'm going to add a gate to it. Okay, I want a faster gate. Um, I need to set, anyway. Anyway, so there we go. Uh, this is an example of something really fun that you can do super quick, and you can either play it on your own, like I just did then, and you can record vocals in, and you can add harmonies. Um, it's all loop-based, but you can but you can also jam with other people, and that is where the super fun thing happens. So I've got an app, uh, I've got a channel that I play with my heapsters, which I'm that that's what my fans they call themselves the heapsters so we have a an endless channel on on uh, with the heapsters and so every now and then i like chime in and i'll be like Woo, sing something or play the piano um over the top of whatever they've done and then i'll disappear for like a week and then i'll come back in and it's just so fun so that's the thing that is the new awesome thing it's like bringing music back to how it should be which is a social interaction it's not about somebody being up there on a stage and everybody else is not a musician we're all musicians we're all we're all you know from day dot we are listening to the heartbeat of our mum we are these rhythmic musical creatures but because of the recording industry we decide that we are not you know that other people they're those people are musical and we are not but actually we're all musical so that's what I would suggest. Sign up to Endless. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you for that. Um, love it. So this is a very recording industry question, but um, what did it mean, you know, to you to become the first woman to win uh, Best Engineered Album, you know, of your own album at the Grammys? Yeah, it was a huge deal. Um, a huge deal. Yes. I, it, it did change. It changed a lot for me. Uh, it, first of all, the, the immediate thing that happened was that um, I was not asked, the first question wouldn't be, so Imogen, when did you start singing? It'd be like, so Imogen, um, I hear you engineer your own album. Like, what, what does that mean? I don't understand. And I'd be like, great, this is what I want to talk about. Yeah. So I'd be like talking about, you know, kit that I love or, you know, when I'd be recording or how I would record or um uh, or I talk about musical instruments that I play or plugins that I like. And it was just so much more interesting for me to do an interview after that. Um, and as a result of kind of having the engineer stamp, even though it's not like scientific engineering, but by having something that's quite kind of techy, um, it opened up the door to this great kind of um, relationship I've had with so many different tech, tech services, um, tech companies, audio companies, because it's like it's given me a license to go, you know, I know what I'm talking about, um, or to develop the gloves, you know, to have other people take me seriously because I've won a Grammy. Well, first of all, won a Grammy like that. Then, like, literally com- countries open their doors to you if you have a Grammy. 
they get that you get visas easier you get into all kinds of things easier if you say you've done a grammy it's just world recognized stamp of approval um but the engineering thing just hugely shifted my opportunities um i mean it it just brought so much opportunity money in um by having that relationship uh to the tech yeah it was really life changing that's so interesting about the tech element because i've always consider you know i've always associated you kind of with tech and and the tech industry certainly before that grammy win and and like you said it's not like you're you know it's not a computer engineering no. <laughs> award so that's interesting but um that's that's fascinating i'm 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 thrilled for you that yeah. all, opened all those doors. Very, very cool. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so um, I'd love to hear any thoughts that you're uh, willing to share on your music publishing strategy. Um, mm-hmm. You, you know, you've you've definitely been innovative in that area, and also, you know, sync has been, you know, a huge part of your career from day one. So, anything you want to speak on, on on music publishing and, and sync. Yeah, I mean, I am definitely less in that space than I used to be. Um, now now I feel my career is so diverse, um, and thank goodness it is, because I would probably be really in a bad way right now if I, if I hadn't diversified, because live shows are, you know, not a thing right now. Um, so the fact that I have these relationships with companies and that, I am recognized as being able to do other things or do a show with my gloves virtually. And because of the tech side, again, it's kind of different from other things. Um, So I'm very lucky in that respect. And as a result, actually, I'm less, um, I'm less precious actually about how I publish things because it, it just doesn't bring in the money, you know, unless you're, unless you're somebody hugely famous. I mean, in terms of, I'm quite famous, but I'm not like Ariana famous. Um, so as a result, the income, I mean, actually, interestingly, um, Alexi, who works with me, as you know, he just the other day, because there's been, there's kind of a, some stuff going on in the UK about streaming. A lot of musicians have, uh, are kind of sharing their information about streaming royalties and, and how we'd like it to change. Um, I've been a little bit out of that loop because I've been trying to raise some funds for this TV show thing. Um, but anyway, so Alexi has just done a quick, um, and you know, Zoe is the person to talk to about which you know because she shares a lot of her information about streaming royalties. Um, so it's it's tiny, basically, essentially, it's a tiny, tiny amount in relation to everything else. Um, so I have less. Uh, I'm I'm less. Um, I'm, I guess I'm less thoughtful on the publishing side these days. I don't have a publisher. Uh, I mean, I have a distributor that I work with. Um, I use Dashgo, and Downtown Publishing is there to administer existing songs, and they will do the same for this, but it's a different rate because it's not like they're actively being a publisher, like right. they're not going out and connecting me with this, that, and the other. But in the beginning, that was very, very useful, very useful. The publishers are the good guys, you know. I've always seen them as the good guys. <laughs> They've been the ones that give me the money, and they don't, you know, completely, um, what's the word? just shaft me you know for it yeah. they take a, the opposite amount of percentage whereas a label might take 80 percent um the publisher might take 20 percent so they've always been it's always a better business to get into is a songwriting business for sure you don't have hardly any costs um much better deals songwriters get 
paid on radio uh, across the world, but performers don't. Yeah. Um, so having a good relationship with a publisher is it is very important. Yeah. But I find for me now at the moment, it's less important because it's less a piece of my day to day. Right. Amazing. Um, you, you, you've touched on this a bit, but um, what are your thoughts on how people release music now? I mean, you just released a song through your own app. Um, this, you know, this is something Zoe talked about. She's like, do I release it through a lampshade in a T-shirt? Like, what am I doing? Exactly, yeah. Any thoughts uh, that you have on that? I mean, I, I'm really not the best person to talk to about that because I just don't really, I just don't really release things anymore. I mean, I put them on YouTube or I put them on Spotify or Dash Go does, but I don't, I'm really not, I, I'm just, I know that it's not going to get tons of traction. I know I'm not going to get played on radio. It's unless you're like a massive superstar, it just really doesn't contribute that much um, to, to do that. So release for me is, always kind of related to other things. Like, for example, um, like I haven't officially released this song. It's kind of on my app. My fans can listen to it and they're loving it and it's great. Um, but what I might use it for is not to release it to earn money from it, but to highlight other projects for me that I have put a lot of money into that I that actually aren't for profit either. <laughs> Where am I earning my money from? You might ask. Well, I was earning it from Harry Potter, uh, the play, but now yeah. it's not there. So I've, I've, I've literally just got a bounce back loan like everyone else in the UK who has a company um, to kind of tide me over until one hopeful day where the, um, where that money will come back in to play. Um, so yeah, releasing, I, it, it's different every time because there's such huge gaps for me in between, you know, like I released a song called the happy song. Um, that was my, that was one I released when about three years ago and it's, it's doing all right. You know, it's actually my biggest earner in terms of songs, bizarrely, um, because I own the master. I released it by myself. Um, and it is a hit, uh, if you are under two or you are a parent or somebody who's under two, um, because it is a song that makes babies happier. It actually does that scientifically. Um, and that song has been a great success. Um, so that song in itself is kind of bringing in more royalties than all the others combined of any that are related to past labels because of the deal, you know, structures. So, um, yeah, and that, and that, but that's just because I got lucky, you know, um, in relative terms, my general releases are, you know, literally pennies. So it's not really about, the song it's not about the fact that it's on streaming services it's what's around it and for that one what was around it was the fact that it was a scientific project with goldsmiths university and cng baby club and they did a making of documentary and they did some you know a cool video well it wasn't that cool but a video um with a ton of babies getting excited about it uh, and they've had like new york times written about it saying this really helped me and my son you know um and those people have just found it really effective so it's these outsiders. That is the thing. You know, I think every artist would agree, well, unless you are in that commercial thin line, you know, 0.1% or whatever, where it is really about writing a hit song, getting on the radio, massive amounts of promotion, you tour, it's like huge. But for everyone else, um, it's not about that. It's about a combination of kind of happy accidents that you have to propagate the possibility for. Um, so with a happy song, it would seem ridiculous. Like, why would you write a song for under twos? 
Um, but actually at the time it just made sense to me because I had a daughter, I have a daughter. She was two at the time. I thought, great, I'll get to make a song with her and it'll be fun. And, you know, and they'll understand that I can't work like a dog because I have my daughter. Um, and they paid me good money as well. Um, they paid me a lot for the, um, for the fee to do it. So yeah, it's the, my, I suppose what I'm saying is the release is for me, almost because the songs don't reach you know massive audiences it's more about the relationship with a brand that I would like to develop something with and they want to highlight and then I write for that but also it's massively for me too or a project and then I release it with that project um so what's coming up on the 9th of December is the launch of this thing called the creative passport and we really think we believe after many many years of touring and doing hundreds of workshops with music makers all over the world and services, um, that this is going to be a turning point in the industry for musicians, whereby giving us a point, a data point, uh, an information point for machine or human to find out about you and for, to help you log into all the millions of different services and ultimately in time help create a, bef- a better payment flow by being able to go in and author information that's correct around songs. Um, and all kinds of other things on top of that that we'll, I believe in, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, so anyway, the point of this album, this song now I realize is, you know, I, I want to give it to the fans. That's the only reason I did it. And, um, but now it's kind of come at a time where I release, I've got this creative passport release. So I'm like, well, that's a perfect example. Okay. So I am going to put a little bit of promo behind it because I want to talk about the creative passport and I want to talk about this Hab Lab, this TV thing that I'm making. And I want to talk about this song because it's quite topical. If you know, you know, the election just happened and it's called the last day of an empire, last night of an empire. Um, so it's a, it's a combination. It's very complicated. Sorry what I just said, but essentially it's not just about putting it out on the services. It is the combined effect of kind of to the outside world, seemingly disconnected things. But for a music maker, we have so many different strands to what we do. And it's about how we bring them together across all angles. Maybe it's a brand relationship. Maybe it's a TV show that you got in. Maybe it's some music lessons that you're doing online. Whatever it is, it's like in combination with the song, because the song itself, unless you get a massive runaway hit, is just not going to pay the bills. Um, Brilliant. And I don't think the happy song was lucky. I, I think it's about being true to yourself. And, and true to your art and you know that's something that that resonated with people um yeah so I had a couple questions that you kind of covered um I was gonna ask you know what marketing means to you 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 touched on that really without even realizing it probably um you touched on you know how you're doing without touring and in, in a live streaming pandemic world um but you know chapter nine is on merch mm-hmm. do you have any thoughts on merch Oh, I'm really terrible at merch. Really, really <laughs> terrible. What I want to sell at the end of my shows are my gloves. And um, yeah. I want to sell, want to sell me new gloves, but they're like, you know, a couple of grand. So most people don't really have those in their pocket. Or I want to do custom made, like weird little versions of gloves that light up and have, but it's just, it's too, it's too expensive. I just, t-shirts, I just find dull, boring. Yeah. I'm, I'm not somebody who's visually, um, 
talented. Like I'm not I'm, in terms of graphics and branding, and I'm just ask me about a font I like. I'm like I don't know, I don't know that much <laughs> stuff. I've always been bad at it. And I saw actually I saw a someone I don't know if it was on YouTube or somewhere. I just read a I read a comment that was something like, "Well, I love all of the images and music. It's amazing. She's amazing, but she's really bad at album art. All of her album arts." Oh and I was like. I kind of agree. Oh. Not that I, I don't want to say that because actually one guy that really, really, uh, Andy Khan, he's, he did a great job with Sparks. But I just feel like I'm just, I'm don't, I'm really awkward about how I'm photographed and what I look like. I just don't know how to do that stuff. And I've never really felt comfortable. Like I've got to do a, a cover for this song. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Help. So actually my friend, my fans have started to yeah. send potentials and I'm like I think I like that but I don't know is that nice is that, does anyone else like it um yeah so I, I can't remember the question that led me down artwork but merch no and and I I understand I can empathize completely but honestly I've always thought you have amazing style which is not exactly what you're talking about but um you know give yourself a little more credit but you do have the fans uh as far as artwork goes so that's oh, great well yeah I mean I, I liked a couple of t-shirts I just don't like myself being on them um, right. You want to see my mug on a t-shirt or my mug on a mug. Um, yeah. yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Chapter 10 or so is a revenue stream checklist. Uh, basically, I was sick of meeting artists or working with artists, um, you know, that are national acts that people have heard of and finding, and I was finding money for them. And I'm like, okay, what's happening to, you know, like, again, artists people have heard of, what about everyone else? So I don't know if, if you can speak to at all, like, you know, I, I assume you have an accountant or a business manager. Is that like, are you kind of aware of your revenue streams or is it just, you know, you rely on them? Um, does that make sense? Because there's obviously a lot of revenue streams in music. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's tons. There's tons. And every now and then, I mean, I, I hired a um, in-house accounts manager. Uh, she's called Jane Glover. And she... Yeah, she's the first time I've had I've had an accountant. I have an accountant, but my long-term accountant um, finally, I think, retired. Um, so I have a kind of mixture of Jane, who's like on everything accounts, everything from the home studio. We have I have a residential studio. We rent out the barn for production rehearsals and for this TV show. Um, you know, there's bits and bobs of shares, but not really that much yet. But maybe one day. Um, and then there's the songs. And then there's Harry Potter, which is like basically needs an accountant all by itself to deal okay. with that. Um, and then there's there's the licensing um, to, you know, various different, whoever wants to, you know, release a song or cover a song or sample a bit of a song or whatever they want to do, put it in a, put it in a TV show. Um, yeah, so there's loads and there's probably loads I haven't thought of. Um, and it is complex. It really is complex. But the most annoying a really frustrating thing is that it, the whole industry is just, it's really hard to, to follow the stream. Of, right. It's 
I mean, I wanted to swear there, but I won't swear. It's so irritating that it could be so much simpler. Um, but it's not really any one particular person's fault. It's just as a result of, you know, paper accounting 100 years ago and people writing down the names of songs in a radio station and going and giving a piece of paper to a publisher who then might pay whoever. Um, it's gone from that to trillions of songs played you know, maybe not trillions, trillions of lines of data, for sure. Every probably second, I don't know, like ridiculous amounts of data. And there's, I think there's a new song uploaded every half a second or something. There's so many, so much music. Um, and the industry just is completely buckling in the weight of that, uh, that data. So, you know, I, sadly, I can't fix it. Um, I, was, I was hoping I could about four years ago. I had this grand plan or five years ago. Um, but it's kind of boiled down to this this creative passport thing. So I would just say, if anybody wanted to help, um, you know, direct and steer the music industry into a sustainable future space for musicians where we are the driving force and that we become so organised and so many and so present on a map, on the map, um, with our identity, with this thing called the creative passport, that services will start to develop for us because we will be there in our masses instead of at the end of an email or at the end of by a manager, you know, this kind of ramshackle way of how the industry reaches us, we can have an official way to be connected to the industry and to potentially be marketed to. And you would get paid to be marketed to. If you were looking for a manager or you were looking for a, um, a sync agency or a sync agency was looking for you, but they didn't know it. Or a grapes company was looking for somebody who liked a particular type of wine. I don't know. There's basically by sharing your skills and your songs and your, uh, your charities you might support and where in the world you are, what languages you speak, highlighting interviews, all that kind of stuff, putting it in your, your creative passport for the world to see when they need it, um, your latest biography. So you don't have to type it in 500 times to different services. And it's always current and up to date because then the APIs, are sh- you know, the services are sharing that information from you and paying you for it. That's the plan. Um, then hopefully we'll, we'll never have to have this conversation. You know, it's ridiculous that we have to, I mean, it is in a way ridiculous, but it's amazing that you've done it, Emily, that you have to write a book, you know, to kind of, for people to understand how to make it work in the music industry. You don't have to do that if you're an accountant or if you're, you know, you're in the restaurant business. Um, it just kind of makes sense. But in the music industry, it is very confusing. Um, and, you know, you've done a great job with the book and I really hope, and I'm sure lots of thousands of musicians are going to, are very thankful to you. Um, and what I hope to be able to deliver with, you know, thousands of other musicians um, with this creative passport is empowering us in 10 years from now to it, that it just works because we are there playing our part, being organised and ready for business um, so that the whole industry can build services on this ground layer of identity and in time songs. Um, so, there we well, go. thank you. And thank you for everything that, that you you know, you've done to build a sustainable music career for yourself and that, that you're doing with Creative Passport and all of your projects uh, for other artists. Um, I just have two last questions and then it's meditation time. Okay. Uh, <laughs> there's a chapter called Repeat and Grow. 
um, you know, after you've gone through this process and, and you understand it at, at this stage in your career with, you know, everything that you've done and this amazing fan base, do you think about growth at all? Like growing the fan base? Um, no, no, I don't really though. You know, I, I'm aware that it is growing because I could see, you know, people pop up, pop up in the listing chair and be like, Hey, I've only just discovered you. And now I'm talking to you. This is so cool. So it's still happening. You know, people yeah. are still gathering stuff. But that's, you know, a testament to things like Ariana Grande, you know, um, yeah. who's got a huge, massive millions and millions of followers who but some of them know who I am because she covered a song and because she used the gloves on one of the tour, on one of the tours. And, um, and she's always been a fan. So there are, you know, people popping up or it could be that um, like recently there's a song, I can't remember the name of the artist now, but um, an artist has kind of illegally uh, sampled an entire song of ours. <laughs> through, through. Um, the song's called A New Kind of Love, which we never released, but it is on YouTube, obviously, because everything finds its way out there eventually. Um, but it's, we didn't put it up there. Anyway, it's there. You can go and have a listen to it. So this artist, who I can't remember the name of, has just done, um, like, sped it up, and apparently it's been used on TikTok quite a lot. And so it's got this weird life, you know. And as a result of that, there'll be some people coming my way. Um, so it does grow. Um, but it more grows not by me pushing it, but by the songs and the discovery and the combinations of projects that um, just just by working, basically, just by working and developing my projects and the interviews that I do about them and sometimes about my songs and this one that I'm doing with you. Maybe there'll be a few people. But it's not really about growing my audience. Um, it's, I mean, I, I I love to connect with people who are like, oh, I really like the music you know I love that because that that fulfills a part of me so much to be able to it feels like the music is is uh every time somebody listens to it for the first time and has a connection with it it's like that song has a new life with that person and is in its fullest state with that new person it's like each song has every song one song has millions of different relationships with different people and each relationship and each experience of that song is the full song. So the, I wrote a song, but it's not complete because no one's, listen, no one's listened to it yet. But every time somebody listens to it, then it becomes its full state. And I love that. That's what I love. And I want to grow is that um, it's not about the numbers of people. It's about that. It's this feeling of the, the song when it connects, then it is alive again and again and again with a new person. And it's that connection that I love. I I love that. So beautiful. Um, Last question. Uh, The final chapter of the book is, when do I need an attorney, a business manager, and or a manager defining an artist's traditional team? Um, Because everything we've gone through, you know, the artists really can um, do do themselves uh, for the most part. So um, quickly, do you have an attorney? Um. I do. I have a few different ones for different things. Yeah. Um, but in the beginning, the first thing that I had 25 years ago um, was a, was a, a lawyer before even a manager. Because you have yeah. to have a lawyer to, if you're going to sign a deal with a manager right. um, to look out for you. So I took some advice um, from a man called Richard Stilgo <laughs> when I was 16 or something. Um, my dad, strangely, was 
supplying him some rocks for his garden. And being my dad, he kind of, you know, realised Richard Stilgo is is like a very famous lyricist for lots of West End shows, like I think Phantom of the Opera and things like that. Nice. Um, so my dad was like, um, could, is it okay if I bring my daughter? Um, basically, so my dad brought me this like gangly, embarrassed 16-year-old just feeling really awkward about being anywhere with my dad. Um, and then Richard still go giving me some advice. And the advice was get a lawyer. So I was like, thanks, I will. <laughs> and I found this really great lawyer that he put me in touch with, um, this guy called Andy Stinson. And he was great. He was really, really great. And and then the next person after him was this guy called um, James Sully, who's still my lawyer now in many ways. Um, yeah, so very important. Um, I mean, a manager had – everything then was different. You know, there wasn't yeah. – it was very different. But it's still important to have people to look out for you and read the small print when there is small print. Um, and, um, and it, you know, it's it's – but most of the time, things aren't really done on contract, are they? Mostly. Yeah. Um, but it is and important it, when it is to make sure you do it right. Yeah. And then, so yeah, I just wanted to rattle off team members real quick and see if you have them or not. So you have Jane, who does accounting or business management. We talked about yeah. that. Yeah. You, you don't have management right now, right? No. So how long have you been without a manager? Um, I don't know, six years, I think. Yeah. yeah. Since that was born. Yeah. And you have your own label now, it sounds like, right? Well, I've always had my own label. Well, since I was 20 or whatever, since I was, since I was 20. Um, yep. It's like, it's just like a company that I put stuff out on. Yeah. It's yeah. not sign yep. anyone else. But... Totally. And through that, you know, you license your releases and set up, you know, promo teams and, and things like that. Um, we talked about your publishing situation. You're working with Downtown, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I assume you have some sort of merch company, even if you uh, feel like you're not good at merch. Um, there is a merch site. I actually can't remember what it's called. Um, what's it called? Maybe, is it Backstreet? I don't know if Backstreet used to do merch. I actually don't know. That's how bad I am. I'm That's like, okay. Merch is right at the bottom of my to-do list. Yeah, but you're essentially the CEO of it all, of everything. Yes. Yes, I am. That's how it should be. I love yeah. that. So Imogen, um, what other team members, you know, do you have around you? Because, you know, you define being a modern artist. So I'm sure it's more than just the traditional team members I listed. Yes, there are a lot of us. Um, at the moment, I mean, Alexi is, was really the beginning of the avalanche of new people that, that you know, were hired over the last six years, really, as a result of being a mum. That was the main thing. <laughs> um so yeah, Alexi came into view um, about six years ago and he took on the role of what a lot of stuff that Mark, my ex-manager, was doing. Um, and But he works full-time and, he, you know, he gets wage and it's a different type of relationship. And he is looking at, you know, deals and he is actioning things and he is doing a lot of what Mark would have done. Um, I guess the difference is that he's, he's not a manager as such he is a very much a core member of a, a company that's what it this i guess it is a label um but it's it uh, this my label is basically just me my life my work life so in my work life um alexi is an incredible engineer by himself so he helps me set up now in the studio um he like uploads files and kind of 
helps me get my, you know, my musical house in order, ready for me to like updates all the software, all that stuff. So he's my in-house tech, basically. But at the same time, he's a really great cook. Um, he's, he's done patent law. Um, he's like super into microbiology and kind of plants and he's vegan and he, he's got this amazing garden just down the road. Um, uh, and he's a good friend and there's so many things. So anyway, he's like number one, I suppose, team member. Um, and then next after Alexi, we brought in Karen, who is my, she kind of became my executive PA, you know, cause Alexi just couldn't deal with all that as well. So then we brought on Karen and then soon after that, um, I think we needed a, an online, you know, like, um, and somebody to do all the online stuff, all the socials, all the analytics, not just for me, but for creative passport, for Mimu, the glove company, um, and the AI project now, and a few other things. Um, so she came on board. And then around the same time, Jane came on board, who uh, is the accountant, yeah, which I mentioned. Um, but then I also have a home team. So in my home studio, I have Emma, who works here. She's like day, she's like a house manager, just keeping stuff, getting food ready. If we have um, guests coming here or people to rent the studio. And then Jason, who's like on on-site building maintenance, um, who also sometimes builds sets uh, for me. So there's a song called Tiny Human. If you look at the set of that, um, he built the shower head that comes from above this barn and like drains into a um, this kind of you know makeshift bath thing that I sit on this chair and Mike does the filming. He's the father of Scout um, in the barn. So he did the plumbing and you know so he kind of. He extends into uh, any kind of making and creating, um, you know, to do shoots or TV programs or, you know, bits of sets. So, so he does that too. Yeah, so we've got this super, super awesome team. And um, we are daily in contact. Um, and there's also kind of quite close peripheral people as well. Like, well, I forgot to mention Carlotta. But um, so Carlotta originally was kind of pushing, doing all of the, a lot of, uh, we, we did this project a while ago that's called um, The Life of a Song. And if anyone's interested, you can go to thelifeofasong.org and you can see the revenue and all the splits and whatever we were legally allowed to share and whatever we could actually muster together because Sony is less keen on sharing information about that song. Um, and you can see how, how it all got divided and what income came in over the years and, you know, it looks significant, but if you realise that that is my most best-selling song ever, and we're only about 10% into the data that we could actually get because wow. there's just so much opacity in the music industry. So really that was the catalyst for the Creative Passport, was like, look how ridiculous it is, let's yeah. and solve it, or let's help to solve it. So Carlotta then, she's now the CEO of the Creative Passport, but we're in touch all the time about anything Creative Passport, which is like probably about 20% of my time. Um, yeah, so there's her and who else? And then Adam ended up being, he was part of the team, but then he ended up being the CEO, well, not officially, but he kind of is, of the Mimi Gloves team. Uh, so I'm also in touch with him quite a lot. Um, so I suppose things get incubated here at Megaphonic Records, as we call it. Um, but then they go off and have their own life. Like, um, yeah, and then I have my uh, accountancy firm, Prager Metis, um, yeah, and my lawyer, yeah. And agent. I should have mentioned that. I'm sure you have. What's uh, that? 
I'm sure you have multiple agents, even in pandemic time. Jenna from CAA, she's my like live music agent in the States, yeah. in Canada and Mexico. Um, and in the UK, I have, I was with it. Well, I am kind of with a company called Primary, I suppose. Yes, I am. Um, but it's, it, I don't really know what that is at the moment, I suppose. That's why I didn't remember them. Um, but mostly things just come directly now. Um, and hopefully with the Creative Passport coming online in the 9th of December, many, many more people will be in touch directly um, because there'll be a way to reach out. That's what we hope for all the artists who, yes. who want to be able to show their team, find, you know, a, a nice way, simple, simple way for them to get in contact. Amazing. So, you know, people, again, this was the last chapter of the book, like assembling the team and people are always asking me, how do I get a manager? How do I get a label? How do I get this? How do I get that? But it sounds like get an analytics uh, strategist. <laughs> I love that you have an analytics person. I That's in all seriousness, totally brilliant. So um, start there. <laughs> yeah. 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 She's pretty cool. Yeah. And they're all, they're not people that I've, I mean, apart from Jane, uh, who we did write a job description for and, you know, found her that way. But everybody else, Carlotta was a student at Middlesex University, came to one of the first events that I did. Alexi, I met because he's a fan and I was chatting to him one day with his boyfriend and um, they ended up kind of coming out here and doing a couple of weeks of work and now he's been with me since six years. Um, Karen was the wife of uh, a designer that I used to work with. Um, well, I still do very much work with him, sorry, Andy Khan. Uh, because he was like, you should you should get my wife to work with you. She's very organized and a good PA and could look after everything. I was like, okay. Um, and Catty was doing volunteer work for my best friend's son, who has autism, um, and was looking to change her job, uh, which she was working in at the time. And I was like, what is it that you do then? And then I was like, huh, I need someone like that. Maybe you can come work with me. <laughs> so that's how all the team come about. They're all kind of very, you know, just people I've met over the years at the right time and they've been the person that I need. They're not really. And I think that's, you know, that is often the way. It's just sometimes you just don't need to look that far. You know, the right people are actually right by you quite a lot of the time. I I think as humans, we fall into the grass is always greener, but what you've just, just described is completely organic and homegrown and um, they're all helping you run and, and uh, run the empire that you've, you know, beautifully built over all these years. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you, Emily. It's good to share. Good to yeah, give them thank credit. you, Imogen. So <laughs> good to catch up and um, I'm excited to spread the word on Creative Passport and all the incredible things that you're doing. Thank you. And one last thing, sorry, 20th of January, if this doesn't go out before then, um, we will be doing a live VR performance uh, of the, the new song, Last Night of an Empire, so where you can witness in real time the official music video, which all the visuals will be generated by my gloves and by the music, um, so you can watch that and be there be there for the moment so incredible Imogen thank you and we can wait for all of that yeah. um, so now I'm going to let you go meditate okay. and then go go keep creating amazing art for all of us which we're so grateful for thanks so much for tuning in to my interview with Imogen Heap on how to build a sustainable music career and collect all revenue streams Massive thanks to composer Matthew Wong for composing the beautiful score for this podcast, as well as to my amazing engineer, Nathan Kane. 
tune in next week where I interview Patrick Sansone of Wilco and the Autumn Defense on chapter four, which is uh, episode seven, uh, how to record with or without a budget. Um, It's a really nice long conversation with Pat where we really dig in and we hope to see, hear from you then. I'm at mwizzle on Twitter. If you have questions or anything, catch you on the next episode. Thanks again.